it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. <sighs> oh god, I'm so tired. What did I tell you at the start of our last episode? Alright. Sorry. Hello everyone, this is The Bikini. Welcome back to Final Forum, the podcast for the discussion of all things Yeah, Dragon yeah, Ball. they already know what it is. You don't need to go overboard here. One, two... What are you doing? I figure you probably want me to do a couple thousand sit-ups for that screw-up. I think that'll do on the training there, recruit. Seriously? I can rest? Yeah, voluntarily taking a punitive action? I think you've learned your lesson. Oh, thank Frieza. Yes, listeners, Bikini has been doing push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and burpees and anything else I can think of since we last spoke. And that damned medical ship still hasn't arrived. At this point, I need a soak in a recuperation tank. I told you not to worry about the medical frigate thinking we wouldn't need their assistance. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd start thinking you were some sort of twisted genius. I'm hurt. You don't think I'm twisted? Oh, no. You're deranged. You need help. Like, you need a whole team of people analyzing you, scrutinizing you, attempting to understand you, hoping they never do because understanding you will unlock some horror we were never supposed to learn about sentient nature. Well there. See, listeners? I need help, too. We both need help. In case anyone from the Frieza medical team has been listening and decided to redirect that medical ship, we need help. Maybe you are a twisted genius. Flattery will get you everywhere, recruit. Is there anyone out there as egotistical as you? I can tell you one person who's not. Who? Goku? Cue topic for discussion? No. Goku. Cue topic for discussion. That's what I just said. Yeah, but you said it as a question. I'm stating it. <sighs> can we just... Can we just do this already? Absolutely. Take us in with an episode recap. And today we'll be recapping episodes 61 through 64? Yeah, it's four episodes. It's a little bit of a slog. Stick with me, folks. I promise it's entertaining. 
we left off in episode 60 with Goku climbing Korin Tower to visit the monk or hermit that's supposed to live on top of it. And at the start of episode 61, after a day of climbing, Goku makes it to the top of Korin Tower. Hey, he's already there. Wow, that's amazing. I guess he won't need the full three days. This will be no problem. He gets to the top of the tower, and he finds a large pot filled with water, and we sort of shimmer wipe to Bulma? Goku calls out to her, and we cut to the kitchen at Kami House, where Bulma and Krillin are preparing a meal. Bulma remarks that she heard someone call her name, then burns herself while distracted. A clumsy woman in the kitchen? Hilarious! <laughs> when Goku touches the water, the vision fades. Uh, Goku tries another pot of water and finds Chi-Chi. This time, instead of seeing what's like happening concurrently, this is more like uh, something from his memory. He tries another pot, and pot number three out pops a, a giant centipede. This thing sort of pulls like a boa constrictor move and sort of wraps around Goku and, and, and captures him. And he becomes overcome with like these weird dreamlike visions of the Dragon Balls, and his friends, and his enemies. And he even catches a glimpse of characters that we haven't been introduced yet, so possibly looking into the future. And in actuality, the pot's are said to contain Goku's past, present, and future. Tells him this, why the Hermit of Korin Tower, of course. And who is this illustrious man of wisdom? Why, a talking cat, obviously. Now, the Hermit Cat, as he's called, does the typical Hermit thing of answering questions with questions and denying the hero what he wants. Meanwhile, Tao Pai Pai is enjoying some time off by beefing up his marketing campaign and trolling local hitmen. Even enjoying a bath by yelling at it until the water boils. <laughs> And then cooking an egg in his bathwater. I don't know whether to be impressed or repulsed at this point, honestly. Back on top of Korin Tower, Korin tries to determine what motivates Goku, but Goku is unskilled in the ways of being comprehensible, so the cat just sort of reads his mind instead. He senses no ill will and bids Goku drink the super spirit water. Or does he? What follows is a not-fight fight, where Goku has to prove his worthiness by getting past the cat in order to secure the water. Goku's attempts are easily thwarted because his mind is, quote, easy to read, making him unpredictable. Goku asks if anyone's ever succeeded in drinking the super spirit water, and the cat responds, only one person in 300 years, your master, Master Roshi. Put another mark in the wind column for old Master Roshi. The cat, who's, who's Karin, by the way, that's, that's, he eventually gets around to, you know, introducing himself. Yes, that's right, Karin, who lives on the top of Karin Tower in the land of Karin. Who wrote this? <laughs> anyway, he holds up three fingers when asked how long it took Roshi to succeed. Goku assumes three minutes. Wow, Roshi's a badass. No, it took Roshi three years. Probably going to need all three of those days to, to finish this, then. Goku resolves to secure the water in two days before Tao Pai Pai returns. Korin muses that he'll just take a cat nap for three days, basically baiting Goku and trying to imply that he's not going to be able to succeed. Goku tries to throw him off the afterimage technique, but it turns out Korin can also do it, and so dupes Goku with his own trick, and then eventually decides that he's going to follow through on his nap, but wants to have some food first, feeds Goku, which is obviously how Goku's going to massively improve almost instantly, because he was doing it on an empty stomach, so it wasn't a real attempt, right? But he only feeds him a single bean. However, this bean's very special. This is one of the Senzu beans that can keep a man fed for ten days, along with weird, mysterious healing powers that aren't really explored right now, but don't pay attention to that. Moving on. <laughs> His hunger sated, Goku's naturally, natural curiosity gets the better of him, and he's checking out, as he's checking out Gorin's dishwasher, he doesn't notice that Gorin takes his Dragon Ball and attempts to 
well, it is an attempt. He actually succeeds in throwing it over the side of the tower, forcing Goku to then have to climb all the way down, get his Dragon Ball, and then climb back up, wasting, like, a whole nother day, essentially. Yeah, so he, he sprints back up to the top of the tower, and Korin has a little bit more fun with him before they, they decide to turn in for the night. The trial continues to the next day, with Korin displaying impressive afterimage skills, but Goku is still unsuccessful in, in obtaining the sacred water. That night, Goku's plagued by dreams that show Upa in distress. Since he can't sleep, he looks for something to eat or drink, but instead he goes back to the pots that show his past, present, and future. He, go- he looks in it this time, and he sees everybody at Kame House doing aerobics. Not sure why that's in there, but it is. <laughs> in an attempt to try and get some sleep, Goku then tries to mimic the sleeping Korin, copying all of his movements right down to like his tail swishes and everything. And eventually the sun rises and our hero, again, continues his trial. Confident, however, that he will succeed this day. Uh, again, with the, the casual disrespect, doesn't think Goku's going to succeed, but almost immediately realizes that he has underestimated Goku. And Goku can now, after spending a whole night creepily watching him sleep, can read his movements. Goku quickly takes advantage while he has Korin on the back paw and finally steals the sacred water. After chugging the bottle, Korin gets the last laugh, because the real sacred water was climbing a tower and trying to catch a cat all along. Just in time, too, because Tao Pai Pai has his clothes and he's eager for a rematch. Right after he stiffs his tailor. In the forehead. With his finger. <laughs> the mercenary lands once again at the base of Corn Tower and wastes no time in beating a child for information on the missing Dragon Ball. <laughs> Goku swoops in on Kito-un to save the day, and Tao seems genuinely surprised that Goku's still alive. Uh, Goku leaves Upa on Kintoon up in the air to presumably keep him safe, jumps down to face off against Missionary Tao. Tao seems confident that this fight will simply be a repeat of what has already happened, but thanks to Korin's training, Goku can basically flip the script on him. And not even the Dodampa that nearly killed him like three days ago has any effect on him whatsoever. And eventually, faced with uh, you know the prospect of having to fight Goku head-on, he just decides, well, you know what? If this kid got so strong from climbing the tower, I should also climb the tower and drink this spirit water. So he kicks a rock at Upa to force Goku to protect him, giving him an opening to start climbing the tower. Uh, Upa's worried that Tao will succeed, but Goku claims to have the counter strategy. It's time to eat. Eventually, Tao Pai Pai makes it to the top of Corn Tower where he finds the pots of, I'm going to call them time water now, uh, where he's (laughs) met with memories of his many kills. There's some clever wordplay going back and forth between Tao and Korin that sort of informs the reader of how little respect Korin has for Tao Pai Pai, the way things are phrased. And he essentially baits Tao into trying to attack him. But he warns him, if you kill me, you won't get the spirit water. So Tao obviously spares him, and Korin goes to fetch some, sp- some spirit water, which, as we know, is actually just regular water. This time, Korin adds an extra ingredient to the concoction chemical booger (laughs) and then back at base camp goku seems to be doing fine getting in a good morning stretch after a good night of sleep tau rocketing towards the ground and then we cut back up to corin who reveals that the cloud was to prevent tau from actually having to physically climb because he knows that climbing up and down the tower is what gives you improved strength and then like when he's I don't know, roughly a third of the, or two thirds of the way back down, he yoinks the cloud and Tao just free falls (laughs) the rest of the way. 
but you know he crashes essentially right at Goku's feet, and the the, the fight quickly gets underway. And, and I gotta say, this particular fight scene, or this whole episode, really, this would be episode sixty four, the last of Mercenary mm-hmm. Tao. The action is is smooth. The animation is beautiful. You can tell that they padded the 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 budget for this particular episode. It looks a lot closer to like what people would expect from say Dragon Ball Z as opposed to the earlier episodes of Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. And this sort of reinforces what we said last episode where you can you can start to see sort of the beginnings of what Dragon Ball is going to become essentially. Ultimately Goku is just kicking butt. Tao sees no other way out and just decides to drop to his knees and ask for forgiveness. This causes Goku and Upa to sort of pause for a little bit, consider what he's asking. Say yeah, okay, sure. If you're if you're really gonna turn a new leaf, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll spare you. And obviously, just like every other red ribbon flunky, this is all a ploy to get Goku to drop his guard. And so, what does Tao actually do? Why he's gonna throw a grenade at children? Because why not? But this is Goku, so he just kicks it right back in Tao's face. To which you know, pie pie, Mister Mercenary. It was nice knowing you. Oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> Goku, meanwhile, checks his own radar to find that the only place left is Red Ribbon's headquarters. And so it seems as if this arc is nearing its crescendo. Yeah. These are these are uh, four really fun episodes. Oh, these are great episodes. I really like them. You mentioned you don't know why he sees them doing aerobics. Now, why it's aerobics, da, 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 I don't know. But it that's the thing that gives him the idea... Because he's watching, I think it's Bulma who's trying to teach them the aerobics, right? Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. And she's like, pay attention to me, move like I move, breathe like I breathe. And Goku's like, move like I move, breathe like I breathe. Okay. And then he decides to to do it with, do it. And be a creeper, yeah. Yeah, he decides to do that with Corrin, and that's how he kind of learns to calm his mind and everything enough to to outthink corn because he learns to anticipate what corn's breathing patterns are like this is got it that's a big thing for goku because this is we're seeing we're seeing in real time when people start talking about like oh how can goku you know learn to dodge hits time skip just by watching vegeta fight how can he learn you know, to, to dodge Frieza just by watching Frieza kick people's butt, you know, how can he, he's always like, oh, I see what the pro, because this is where he is, Goku has this quality to himself, we've talked about it before, this is his whooshing, right, where he can see the enlightenment, the 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 truth of everything bef- without, uh, without having to study it, really, you know, he could kind of see it a little more instantaneously. This is where we see that begin to develop. And that's like when people then later on are like, oh, it's such an ass pole that he was able to do this. It's like, no, this is building on something we have seen this character do already. Since the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's why it's so kind of important ultimately to watch all of it and not just from Z forward or something, you know? So, but yeah, these episodes are really fun. You know, we talked about this is where. Tao Pai Pai meets his end. He talked about Goku's ready for it this time. You know, his his training with the rest of the Red Ribbon Army made sure he knew not to completely drop his guard just because this guy said he was sorry. 
But no, these episodes are super fun. They're very engaging. Even the stuff, and uh, we're going to talk about this later as we get through talking about the the culture and the notes and things. Uh, Even the stuff that's filler in this actually has some really kind of interesting cultural and sim- symbolic sort of backgrounds to it. We'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But uh, yeah, just like how, how Goku ascending Muscle Tower brought more and more difficult opponents each step of the way, and it shows us his increasing strength, the climb of Korin Tower is symbolic of Goku's continued training and desire to be better. And to tie us back to Journey to the West, remember Journey to the West? It, Vaguely, yes. It is showing us his path towards enlightenment and signifying his cultivation through physical strength. Korin Tower lies in Korin's sacred land, and in Japan and in the manga, Korin is, as I call him, because again, dirty plebe dub watcher, is called Karin, and Korin Tower is Karinto. Karinto is also named uh, after a... Corinto is named after a fried dessert snack in Japan that consists of small sticks of fried donuts or malt puff covered in brown sugar. So Corinto is named after, I think Corinto is the name of this dessert. So Karin is named after him and Corinto is the name of it. And so then Toriyama is doing one of those. The tower is like one of those donut sticks sticking up. Yeah. Okay. And so when we talk about then, well, why did Toriyama just transliterate that name instead of calling it Karin Tawa, like how he calls Muscle Tower, Masura Tawa? It's because of language. Remember language from the Tau Pai Pai episode? Language, <laughs> language is fun and it's crazy. Not confusing at all. And it's not confusing at all, but let's, let's talk about some of it. In Sanskrit, there's this thing called a stupa it's a burial mound used most often for burying the remains of buddhists of high merit they're considered sacred destinations for buddhist pilgrims to visit historically they begin as simple mounds but over centuries they become more and more elaborate until they wind up having multiple layers and these stacked ornamental rings on top of them to signify the type of cultivation and purity the person undertook during their life as they ascended upward toward the toward buddha and the Tao. You could see those rings are like what Karn Tower is made out of. Stupa spread from India to China, where the word is translated as Zutapo, and then the structure is combined with Chinese architecture for towers until they become these massive, ornate structures that, in addition to holding the remains of Buddhas, may contain entire works of sutra and other artifacts. They become called Ta for short and are brought to Japan as To, and we call them Pagoda. So, Korin Tower is Karinto in order to denote that it's a traditional structure with ancient purpose that's spiritual in nature. So he is at least on a, I always call it like osmosis, like cultural osmosis. He is at least on an osmotic level aware that there is this difference between a Tawa and a Toe. Yeah. So he's trying to tie it to that. So 
Corin Tower, then, is adorned and engraved with symbols and geometric patterns and images that are traditionally ascribed to, if even stereotypically, Native Americans. It's Toriyama's way of saying that the tower, while inspired by traditional pagoda and Buddhist stupa, is the American version, or the version that might exist if Native Americans were also Buddhists and had built stupa. Uh, this then explains why it's not a traditional pagoda and also not a tower like Muscle Tower. A little more difficult to explain is why it bears such a striking resemblance to Bespin, the cloud city from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, except to note once more that Toriyama's admittedly a Star Wars fan. There's also perhaps a smidge of Millennium Falcon going on here, too, as George Lucas always said it was designed to resemble a hamburger with an olive sticking out of it. And certainly Corrin Tower looks like a sandwich or some of some kind at its top, uh, complete with a protuberance atop that's said to look like an olive. Of course, there are obvious similarities to the traditional Native American totem pole as well, and we know from our prior research that Toriyama went to a folk museum around when he was writing this part of the story, so he likely saw a totem pole, maybe learned a little bit about their natures, these sort of monuments to a tribe's culture, and uh, decided to crib that idea at least a little bit. The manga never explains explicitly where the tower or, or what the tower or its origin are in terms of canonical story and in the universe of Dragon Ball, but the game Dragon Ball Online does, and given that this MMORPG had major contributions from Toriyama in script and design, it's likely he at least passed his eyes over the idea the game presented its players and at least implicitly signed off on it. Dragon Ball Online presents players with the story that Corn Tower is a living tree that grows taller every 10 years with the Karinga tribe uh, adding new stone plates around the tree as it grows. It's one of those things we don't know for sure, right? Because this is where you get into like, oh, Toriyama signed off on it. Did he really? Because like, just as a for instance... John Carpenter, quote-unquote, has signed off on all of the new Halloween movies, and he's doing the score for them, right? So it seems like a somewhat similar relationship that Toriyama had with, with this Dragon Ball Online, right? He's submitting some ideas and some design, and Carpenter's doing the script and a couple ideas, but Carpenter was asked, and I don't remember the, the full details of this, but he was asked about, like, some character in one of the movies and was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> he just, like, he signs off on it, like, yeah, whatever, you're going to pay me for this? Sure. You know? <laughs> like, but, true, true master of his craft who is dedicated to his lore. Yeah. But, and so Toriyama could be doing that with this Dragon Ball Online. We don't know for sure, but... This brings us to the idea of a world tree or a tree of life, and that's a tree that in Norse, Hungarian, Siberian, Babylonian, Indian, Mayan, and Native American mythology, and I'm sure a bunch of other, you know, like Scandinavian and, and indigenous people mythologies, extends into other dimensions, including heaven, and then whose roots penetrate down into hell or the underworld or something like that. The higher you climb on a tree of life, the more knowledge you gain. And of course, all of this backstory, which is given in some brief dialogue, is from a game that was only released in Korea and Taiwan. So most people don't know anything about it. But Toriyama, remember, he did write the game. So we can assume, I guess, that at least in 2010, 
it was his intention. And if you track ideas from Dragon Quest, because Toriyama worked on the Dragon Quest games that kind of bleed over into Dragon Ball, the timeline of a tree of life that appears in Dragon Quest 2 coincides with this part of the manga and uh, the appearance of Korin Tower. So it's pretty possible that this connection was always his intention because he's in a game working on something that has a tree of life in it and then in his manga sort of doing his own little riff on it. But for one reason or another, this was just not never made explicit in either the manga or the anime. Now let's talk about Master Korin himself. Korin has squinty eyes because according to Toriyama, he drew the reference from a cat, Toriyama's own cat, who at the, at the time he drew the character was asleep. If you remember, he also used his cat as the basis for Tama, Dr. Brief's cat, and later he'll use the cat as, as, in, as the inspiration for Lord Beerus. It makes sense when you look at Tama that Toriyama would think he had to do the opposite so people wouldn't pick up on him just plopping his cat into everything. So he uses shut eyes instead of wide open and white fur rather than black. Now, Corin is a pun on corn to keep the, you know, with the food puns that we've been seeing, you know, since basically episode one. Uh, basically, whoever was dubbing the show did not know that Karin was a pun on a popular Japanese dessert or didn't care and wanted Americans to pick up on the pun more easily. Either way, Corin is a name invented by Funimation. But why a cat? Bottom line, it's a joke. Everyone tells Goku that a great Senen lives at the top of the tower. Remember, Senen are monks who cultivate their minds and become one with the Tao in order to gain supernormal abilities and live long lives. Senen are traditionally mountain men and live in secluded places. In Japanese culture, traditional folklore says that as cats get old, they run into the mountains before they die to become a nekomata, or cat twice over, and grow a second tail, at which point they also gain supernormal powers, including the ability to transform and practice the immortal arts. Rather than a Senin, or Mountain Man, Corin is a Senbyo, or Mountain Cat. It's basically just a joke. Yeah. I get it. It ain't making me laugh, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not a great joke, but I get it. <laughs> so here goes here goes the part that you know we've we've mentioned in the past that we're leaning pretty heavily on on Derek Padula's Dragon Ball culture books for a lot of our research, and that's in no small part. And I think I've probably said this before because when you go and really delve into research on any other site, I've never seen anything on any of them that wasn't in one of his books. So yeah. why read? 58 different websites that are going to all say the same thing that I can read in one book. <laughs> but this stuff I kind of found on my own, quite honestly. While in Corin Tower, Goku opens those three jars, revealing the past, present, and future. And out of the future jar, just one of the jars, comes a centipede. Now, I was like, that's not, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's filler. I don't think that's in the manga. I then just did a little bit of research looking into centipedes in Chinese culture because I was curious if that was like a thing and it turns out that it is centipedes have a long-standing culture or history or tradition or mythology in a whole bunch of different cultures including I'm gonna, we're going to talk about three specific ones but like 
it's also there are centipedes of folklore in like Indian culture and Scandinavian culture, like every culture except for probably what we think of traditional Western culture, which is like very specifically Judeo-Christian culture, has some sort of centipede mythology or folklore or something around it. The Bible's like one of the only things that doesn't talk about centipedes very much. In Chinese culture, the centipede is considered one of the five noxious creatures, and it's associated with powerful magic potions. It's considered the enemy of the snake, but is readily eaten by roosters. And during the Midsummer Dragon Boat Festival, which is this whole thing that I glanced at, and it was about like some guy who, according to legend, drown and then everyone went out looking for them on boats and so now they have like a boat race every every summer but during part of this festival centipedes are encouraged to be brushed from the home as part of the i don't know festivities or or uh, ritual or whatever the dragon boat festival takes place on the fifth day of the fifth month and this episode came out on may 6th 1987 so that may have been intentional by the anime team impressive centipede venom in chinese culture is also considered an ingredient in a poison which is goo poison which is said to be capable of consuming men from the inside out and so there may be some connection here with these jars showing visions and how one could become consumed by peering into them there could also be there's like a whole bunch of stuff about how goo poison is used on lovers or people who spurn their lovers so there could be if you want to maybe draw some parallels to like goku seeing chi chi and that kind of thing i, I don't know I'm not sure it's just kind I of might an also interesting... explain the balma dream too yeah it could <laughs> so but don't let the noxious and enemy of snake things make you think that centipedes are necessarily thought of as evil they're just considered powerful, and they are protectors sometimes, and even dragons are said to be afraid of them. Now, in Japanese culture, centipedes have a more fantastical history, as the omukade is a yokai and is a giant centipede said to live in the mountains and eat humans. Uh, the omukade killed children of a serpent goddess who then charged Tawara Toda with getting revenge, which he ultimately did by shooting it with an arrow that he licked and discovered that the omukade is weak to saliva. Uh, the omukade has inspired a lot of tokusatsu and anime characters over the years, including the Power Rangers character Sentai Back, the One Punch Man character Elder Centipede, which is this like gigantic centipede Absolutely with, massive, with, yes. with a human face on it. And it has the the omukade itself has appearances in inuyasha yokai watch and pokemon so it's centipedes are pretty well known in japanese culture as being powerful and mystical and everything native american folklore says that centipedes are generally foreboding totems and they have connections to the underworld but they can also be seen as being deeply connected with shamanism and magic and who then tells if you're talking about we are in sort of a Native American setting and who tells Goku about what these jars are after he encounters a centipede is Master Korin, who is sort of the the shaman of the Native American land of Korin. That's that's some pretty serendipitous stuff right there. Sounds like it to me. 
<laughs> for for an anime only moment that lasts I don't know seconds. <laughs> there's actually a lot to dig into here. I thought I found that just all really interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. And then just a few final notes on Corrin Tower and all of this. Corrin throwing the ball off the tower to teach Goku how strong he has become, which he mentions it's a three-hour round trip the second time for him. Yeah. It takes pretty, a whole day the first time, three hours the second time. Pretty good. It It's another classic Zen-style teaching moment, and it's very similar to his Kame Senen's Shugyo and the Miyagi-style training in Karate Kid that we talked about, you know, where you're training without realizing that you're training. And then Goku succeeds in three days, we mentioned, because of his wushing, his, his enlightenment quality. Toriyama here with a lot of this is like all writers you do you you write what you know he's extrapolating from his own life whenever he does Goku's training do the same thing over and over and over and over and over until you get good at it because latent ability is not good enough Toriyama thought he could draw he assumed he could be a mangaka because he could draw but it took him years of making up stories that got rejected some of which we've talked about until he got good enough to really have a hit and become a true pro. That's all Corin and Corin Tower and Carinto and all that good stuff. Trees of Life. I don't know if you... Do you have any familiarity, familiarity with them? I mean, they're a pretty common theme in, like, Japanese RPGs. Are there any... I don't play Final Fantasy. Are there any in Final Fantasy? Oh, there's quite a... There's at least one that i can think of off the top of my head that's it's called ifa tree like like the tree of life but there is often like a theme of of sort of the mixing between the natural and the supernatural in those games mm-hmm. um so you see like a lot of tropes like you'll see the tree of life or you'll see a kind of uh there there's actually in seven there's a nod to like north american shamanism just different different things like they tend to, to like change the flavor but the theme is there in a lot of those games. Right, right. Yeah, that's... I've never played Final Fantasy, so I... I'm more familiar with the concept of a tree of life a little more recently, kind of. I mean, I've, I've always kind of had that... Like, there is this sort of mythological or folkloric power that I feel like all of humanity gives to trees. Yeah, I can... I could agree with that. I definitely. mean, <laughs> I mean, even when you you know you you consider Judeo Christian culture and the Bible. I mean, one of the very first stories in the Bible is about a tree and the the, the tree of knowledge, or is it called the tree of knowledge or the tree of is it? It so there's there's a couple of different things. So obviously, uh, I believe it was the tree of knowledge. I think you're you're correct. In like the Nordic stuff, it's it's the basically like the tree of life. Oh, there's the tree. The Bible has the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the, the bad yeah. one you're not supposed to touch. And it has the tree of life. Oh, interesting. which is the one that they're supposed to eat of to, to keep living forever. Well, bad call on their part, I guess. Well, it was the snake that tricked them. I guess well. I guess. We could, I, I can, I could talk a little so bit. So what about you're that. saying is they needed a centipede to protect them. They should have had a centipede. Yes, I, I, I could talk a little bit about that for maybe people out there who weren't raised uh, Christian. I was raised uh, Catholic, actually. So, 
and I went to Catholic school for quite a long time. So the, the general story of Genesis is that God creates all the creatures in this garden of Eden and he creates Adam and Eve and it's paradise. Everything is perfect. And as long as they keep eating fruit from this tree, which is the tree of life, they'll stay young forever. They'll live forever. Everything will be happy, hunky-dory. And don't touch that tree over there because that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that, you will die. Obviously, you don't die immediately. <laughs> it's it's more of a you are doomed to death. You no longer have immortality and a happy, perfect life. The snake, hey, that is that is a good, yeah, the snake. They needed a centipede to protect them from the snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, knew, I knew what I was talking about. You. The snake, the serpent, who is the devil, tricks Eve into eating a piece of fruit from that tree. He's like, oh, no, this is like, God doesn't want you to touch this tree because it's just way tastier. And if you touch and if you eat this tree, you'll be as smart as God. And he's scared because he doesn't want you to be God. Because he's God. So he's scared of you. So eat, come eat this stuff. And she takes a bite and gives it to her husband, Adam. And then they both realize that they're naked. And they're like ashamed of being naked. And God gets pissed when he finds out that they ate this and defied him. And he kicks him out of the garden. And mankind and humanity is doomed to no longer being immortal. And uh, we have to go to work and pay rent. <laughs> I like that that the the holy book of this entire religion starts off with a disclaimer right at the very beginning of ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we won't we won't get too much into the the philosophy there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh it is interesting then that there is like the snake in it right and if maybe if there had been a centipede handy we would have a very different bible (laughs) there you go i also was familiar with the darren aronofsky movie the fountain has a tree of life as sort of a big central piece to it and that's a movie it's been a long time since i've seen this movie because it's from 2006 and this is a movie that stars hugh jackman and rachel weiss and like it's them over a couple of different or maybe several different eras in history it's like a love story basically like them existing in like conquistador times and like i think an era before so, that so they're they're and, both immortal that's that's what i'm getting because i haven't seen this movie so it's like an era before that and an era after that no it's you know what it's more similar to is like, have you seen Cloud Atlas? Was it Tom Hanks and uh, Yeah. I can't remember the actress who was in that movie. But yes, I but it's, I'm familiar. It's more similar to that where it's it's not they're immortal, it's like history repeats itself with gotcha. these like okay. these people keep kind of reincarnating and finding each other type of thing. And okay. there's a tree of life that's central to that. Um, there's a movie called The Tree of Life with Brad Pitt and a host of other actors. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. Never even heard of it. Oh yeah, I I've heard of it. It is called an art film, which it's by Terrence Malick. So he's like a you know like an independent art house filmmaker kind of. 
I don't know if I'd call him art house so much, but you know, his movies tend to have a little more to chew on and are a little less blockbustery, obviously. I remember this movie. It's fr- I never saw it though. It's from 2011. It stars like Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, Jessica Chastain, Ty Sheridan. I don't know what it's about though. It did decently well for a movie of its size. Like it was was made for 30 million and made like 60. So yeah, that's not bad. That's okay, you know, for a non big blockbustery thing in the 2010s. Uh, filmmaking landscape. Um, I've never seen it, though. Maybe I should. Um, and then there's... Most recently, have you seen The Northman? It's on my list of movies to see. I have not seen it yet, though. I wouldn't necessarily call it a tree of life. But there is a strong spiritual, mythological supernatural tree motif to it uh without spoiling it it's like the main character consistently sees a family tree that has his like ancestors on it and uh it even has his eventual progenitors on it as well cool and and he like kind of gets motivation and insight from occasionally having visions of this tree so okay. there's a lot of trees as powerful symbols in it. We're going to see that pop up eventually in a Dragon Ball Z movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorites, personally. I, it's not a bad one at all. It's one of the ones that has like a, like it just stands really well on its own. It's got everything. It's got all of the Z fighters. It's got fun villains. It's got Yamcha getting his ass kicked. It's got <laughs> Goku kicking everyone's ass that just kicked Yamcha's ass. It's got literally everything. That's a good one. It really is. I would I would put that one into the it's good pile as opposed to like... There's some that are actively bad. I know like the Bio Broly. Did you ever see that one? I didn't. No, I did. I did see that one. Yeah, that one was bad. That one's actively bad. And then there's like like the one that we watched already for the the the, uh, the Curse of the Blood Rubies, where you're like, this is like fine. Yeah, I guess. I, I think that the, the the issue with that one is I think that was geared more directly towards children. Yeah. Anything media seems to decide that children can't handle anything complex, and, and their the quality of their entertainment suffers for it. <laughs> But so we'll probably talk about Trees of Life again in the future someday. Maybe by then I'll have seen the Terrence Malick movie when we do our Tree of Might episode about that that Dragon Ball Z movie. I'll be looking forward to that one. And then what about Corrin? Any thoughts on Corrin? Do you like him? Do you dislike him? I, the one Corrin, thing... Corrin for me is up there. It's one of my favorites. The one thing about him I forgot completely, and it like it took me by I'll say almost complete surprise, is when Goku prizes eyes open, and oh, there's, there's like the, it's just like a fish in there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Absolutely an awesome. No idea like, why that's the case, but interesting. It's and like it, a it cool. Fits, it, it fits his overall theme with the uh, all of the different waters and like his his cabinet that's like 
full of just standing water that like washes his dishes. <laughs> it's such a cool like it really makes him feel like this supernatural otherworldly kind of character. You know, oh, yeah, he definitely. really He really is the first character we come across that that has that feel to him like every other character even the 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 manimals <laughs> that, that we come across have I a like very manimals i'm gonna i'm gonna use that from now on they have a very like they're basically just human like you do get the feel from a lot of them that toriyama just got sick of drawing like the same background character henchman so he drew like a tiger you know like yeah definitely so they they all have that feeling of like they are just normal, and then you know Corin, even Corin, yeah, he's a little quirky and weird and everything, but you don't get the sense that he's like very otherworldly until Goku prizes his eyes open and there's like nothing behind his eye other than a fish swimming around. And I think it's it's also done because like I I would argue that Roshi's kind of in that same vein, but not quite as obvious uh, because on the serve well not just because of the sunglasses (laughs) but i mean like the character for himself like he 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 acts like he's just a regular old man there there's not anything about him that seems supernatural but the more that you learn about him the more that you learn that he's lived for like hundreds of years he's brushed you know shoulders with entities like corin uh and 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 it's it's kind of this sort of slow build-up to the to the more supernatural elements that are that are going to take place in this show, that I think it's it's kind of like how we were talking how uh, the fight with Tao is sort of a a shift in how the show like presents its combat and and starts to to veer more towards this is going to be you know an action anime as opposed to a gag anime. Um, I think this is that 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 sort of ratcheting up of, okay, now we're going to start doing weird supernatural stuff on top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That is, I like that. Um, and that's, yeah, he's a, Roshi has a really good moment in this too, where, you know, it, it's funny. Cause I'm pretty sure this is an anime only thing too, where there's like the huge storm and he's like, yeah, oh. and he's just out, like training in the rain the last time there was a storm this bad he like he that's a very cool moment for roshi because it it definitely starts to give us that master that master roshi that we get more and more throughout the series of this guy who has a much more serious aspect to his character um, sure. he, he can be jokey and he can be fun and he is a perv, but he has that ability to reflect and tap into the immortal master part of himself and come out with some deep insight or some massive power or something. And that, you know, he's sitting there the last time it stormed like this, it was when, and then he thinks like, Oh, Goku must be with Corrin. Yeah. Like he picks up on that. And then he, for no reason other than cool animation blasts a Kamehameha into the ocean. I'm also starting to think that maybe 
the Master Roshi that we get at the beginning of the series is a result of him becoming bored over the many years that he's been alive and just not taking an interest in in these sort of like spiritual and martial arts matters that have have kind of guided his whole life up to that point and i think it's bumping into goku and sort of having that that interest reignited in him that is what brings out these other qualities in him that we don't see in the beginning yeah he's sort of um he also needed someone to chase type of thing yeah exactly yeah he he, he kind of he hits his his apex he realizes that there's nobody else around that can really challenge him anymore, and he's just kind of like retires essentially. Yeah. And then once Goku comes back around, he realizes, oh, this kid's got some potential. This might be worth putting in the effort, and I think that's what starts to bring all those things back in him. Yeah. Kind of one punch man esque. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Not exactly. I mean, one punch man's a very different kind of thing but the, the similarity of like you know you start out very serious and you cultivate this this uh, one punch man does not have a legend around himself that's the thing because he's bad at promoting himself but you cultivate this power and you become the most powerful and then you lose interest in it because it's gotten too there's no easy challenge. for you yeah and then for roshi it's meeting someone who's more powerful than him that kind of kicks off the interest for uh saitama it's meeting um what's the cyborg guy's name uh genos i think it is yeah okay it's it's meeting a character genos who is excited about it and interested in it and becoming popular and seeing oh wait i can be popular while doing this and that sort of kicks off his re-interest in it and learning about the the flash and the showmanship side of things sure and so there is sort of a a a, a parallel i'll say between between those things um which is cool which makes sense because i mean one punch man is really a deconstruction of shonen manga yeah like in 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 all of its forms he's very much a deconstruction of like the goku archetype right the uh yeah. The character who overcomes all his problems. Except it's much more comical. And and always pointless whenever I always see like, oh, so Goku could totally beat Saitama now and it's like, it's like no, like the the point, the point <laughs> the point is that he can't. <laughs> the point is that Saitama isn't challenged by anything. Yeah, that's the entire reason for his existence. That's a whole different conversation, I guess. But <laughs> but this but this is not this is not the, the superhero guild membership podcast. No, this is the final forum podcast, and that's, that's right. That's uh, that's a lot of stuff about trees of life and centipedes. That centipede stuff was there's so much more. Like if you are curious about that, just look up look up centipedes in culture. And you'll find like ton- like I went down so many rabbit holes on uh, this like all this Japanese the the omukade stuff was I thought really interesting and uh, some of the designs of various omukade 
creatures or inspired creatures are really, really cool. But that's because centipedes are creepy looking. True. There was a whole thing, too, about how Chinese people eat centipedes historically. Really? Yeah, because they think that they have, like, magical powers. But only certain kinds of centipedes. It's like There's, like, a whole thing. Man, people will do some crazy stuff. And then there's, like, a whole thing about how you're supposed to put centipedes on the affected area if you get a rash because they have magical potion powers. But if you're, like, a bad person, the centipede will bite you and it'll burn. I'm like, no, that's just if you're a person. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's just what happens when a centipede bites you. (laughs) But, no, it's all all just really interesting stuff. Just look up the Omukade, and that's O-M-U-K-A-D-E, and you'll get some really cool... It's a, you'll get some really cool images and art. We don't, I, I feel like, uh, I have heard, not that I know at all from experience because we're out here in space, but I have heard that in Texas, they are not as prevalent as they might've been. If you say grew up in Western New York for 25 years, I would have no frame of reference for any of that. And, and the, the re- the reason I think that that would be the case based off of what I've heard and, you know, obviously not personally experienced is basements. They don't have basements in Texas and they do in Western New York. And so basements are damp, dark places where centipedes like to hang out. Oh, basements sound terrible. I hope I never have to see one. <laughs> There are also storage spaces, though, which which uh, do not exist as readily in your house in Texas. You uh, you got a lot of Texas information. I, uh, who, who's given this to you? Don't worry about it. It's just oh, okay. a, it's, it's a place called Texas that I've heard of. On uh, I think it's a, I think it's a. I, oh, I thought Texas was like its own planet. No, it's just a big chunk of the planet. <laughs> It runs itself like it's its own planet sometimes. <laughs> uh, so that's that's Master Corrin though. He's uh he's a cool character. He's ends up being pretty important. And he's always a he is he's one of those characters who I think is always like a fun time when he shows up. Agreed. I love Corrin. Okay, so now what? What? You refuse to help with rebuilding. You have seemingly lost interest in punishing me. What do we do until the medical ship arrives? Well, remember, it wasn't just punishment. I was wearing you down until the ship arrives so they would think you need their help. Oh no. So more push-ups? How about a sparring match instead? Sparring match? I could barely lift my arms after all that force training. Right, so I won't liquefy this time. Plus... If I slap you around a little, your need for help will seem even more immediate to the medical team. Uh... Hey! Well, hold on. Let's not worry about that. My scouter just blipped. I think the ship is here. Thank Frieza! Well, it seems you're right, recruit. I picked something up on my scouter as well. Okay. Just a couple of quick punches, then. Ha! 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 Yeah! Oh, oh, you son of a... Gotta make it look real. 
What if they're listening? Then they'll know I just beat you up and you need assistance. Come on, let's go greet the doctors. Okay. I think I can walk if you help. I can fix that if you need and then just straight up carry you. I wasn't complaining. Just get me to the recuperation tank, please. Fine. Here, put your armor on me. We'll be resting comfortably before you know it. Is this our ticket out of here? There's a chance it's not? Will Bikini ever stop interrupting my outros? Oh, sorry. Can I remember what other questions I was going to ask before being interrupted? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. I... I... Just don't make me eat centipedes, please. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share it with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 